Welcome to the Active Training Team podcast, where we talk about sharing ideas, adding value and increasing engagement in safety leadership. My name's Adam Christopher and I'm a director at Active Training Team. ATT use film, live drama and facilitated workshops to explore behaviour in the world of safety, health and well-being. We've been looking at a range of topics that contribute to a positive and safe workplace culture, from attitudes to road safety to women working in construction. Thanks for all your feedback on the series so far, and if you'd like to send us an idea for a future episode, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or at activetrainingteam.co.uk. For today's episode, I want to explore a subject that affects all of us, sleep or not enough of it. I'm sure you know how difficult it can be to struggle through your day after a bad night's sleep, but fatigue and tiredness at work is a really serious issue, especially in round-the-clock safety-critical jobs. And as our world evolves further into a 24-hour society, the pressure caused by long-term fatigue and tiredness has increasingly been recognised as a significant health problem. Now, it wouldn't be fair to talk the talk about fatigue without walking the talk when it comes to being sleep-deprived. At ATT, we work on some of London's largest construction and infrastructure projects, and I was lucky enough to be invited to join the night shift on the bank station capacity upgrade in the City of London. So I went over 30 metres underground to talk to people working on this project's night shift. Right, it's about 2.30am Thursday morning. We're at the Bank Station capacity upgrade and we've just come in off London Bridge through a doorway down a spiral staircase. I'm with Alex Peach, an engineer on the project. Alex, do you want to tell us exactly where we are? Okay, so we're actually currently in the old King William Street station. It was open for, I think, 10, 11 years before it, it closed down. So it's now the entrance to the bank station capacity upgrade um, tunnelling works. So this is sort of a halfway point between the shaft and the surface. So if we follow it round, we then come out to the main shaft, the Arthur Street shaft. We're then going down another 10 metres to tunnel level. And that's when you walk in and that will be the new, uh, new southbound tunnel. There's a huge variety of trades working shifts on this project. Here's Jamie Curtis. He's a scaffolder. So over the course of four weeks, you do uh, seven days a night, seven days of backs, and then seven days of days. Okay. And seven days off. Uh, how does that affect your sleep? Uh, it takes some getting used to, but once you, you know, get your sleep pattern into order, then it's not too too bad. So it ain't for everyone. It's the, the first night shift's your worst night shift because you sort of end up waking up normal like a normal day. And you're trying to change your body clock around. How much sleep do you get when you're working nights? Oh, me? Uh, about, I'd say at least seven to eight hours. So that's, that's getting a good chunk of sleep? Yeah. Especially now we've gone from where we used to work 12-hour shifts, that now we're on these eight-hour shift patterns. It's so much better for the sleep and the home life. We can all feel the effects of fatigue and tiredness, whether at home or at work. But research tells us fatigue is most likely to occur to those doing shift work. Now, I'm not a shift worker, but before joining Jamie and his co-workers at the bank station upgrade at midnight, I grabbed a couple of hours sleep 
And then when I got home at 8 a.m., I had a couple more before I continued with my working day. And this definitely affected me. It took a couple of days for me to write my body clock and get back to normal. But Jamie's an experienced night shift worker, so he has his sleep pretty well under control. And we'll come back to those shift patterns he spoke about later. But I wanted to know how shift work affects his family life. I suppose my kids are used to it now. I've been on this shift since they started them on this project two years now. And your family gets, gets used to the routine. It, especially in my house, it's like the, the kids know at a certain time on a Saturday that I'll get up earlier on a Saturday, so if they four in the afternoon, they'll come upstairs and wake me up and then that's their time for a few hours before I come to work. OK, because it, it requires discipline, because the temptation would be to be, be with the family on, the, on that Saturday. Yeah, but it is, but you've just got to make... You've got to juggle it, really, haven't you? So if I know I'm not going to spend time in the evening with them, I might stay up longer in the morning and then stay up till... 10, 11 o'clock, and then go a bit through till 7. So, what's the good thing about working those shift patterns? For me, it's what I can do at home with the kids, what I couldn't do on a day shift. I can watch the gymnastic competitions, I can go to the ballet shows, I can go to the tap dancing ones, I can go to the school fight at 12 o'clock in an afternoon on a Wednesday, which I'm doing this week, where previously, on days, I wouldn't do any of that. All I'll do is get a picture on WhatsApp saying, this is what we've done today. (laughs) So if you can crack the personal discipline and you have the support of your family in getting the right amount and good quality sleep, shift work has its benefits. But I know from talking to a lot of other shift workers that the balance can be hard, especially if you have young kids or other caring responsibilities. But it's not just about the effect on your individual health and well-being. Sleepiness has a big impact on performance. To find out more, I spoke to Dr Ashley Filtness from Loughborough University, who gives us some insight into why tiredness and fatigue can have such serious consequences at work. The problem is that if you have workers coming in who really are too tired, then they can make mistakes so you will see um, an impact on productivity we find that people who are sleepy are more likely to be distracted we also find that sleepy people are more rigid in their thinking so they're less likely to spot a problem and if they do spot a problem and they try to fix it and it doesn't work they're less likely to try a different approach they're more likely to keep going with the wrong solution and therefore the problem doesn't get resolved and then ultimately if you're that sleepy particularly if you're in an environment that you're on your own so for example driving then you can actually fall asleep to have a micro sleep and cease paying attention to whatever it is that you're doing completely so there are obvious productivity consequences that should concern any manager but ashley makes a really important point here that one of the most dangerous things you can do when you're tired is to drive. Yvonne Taylor has been a police officer for over 23 years. She spent most of her time in road policing and she knows just how tough it can be to drive when you're tired. I can describe a situation when I was very young in service and had only recently started working night shifts. And at that time, the shift pattern that I was following was one that involved working seven night shifts in one block 
I was coming home following a night shift, almost home at that time, when I fell asleep and bumped the curb. And it was only by bumping the curb that I actually realised how tired I was. And sometimes, yes, we know we're tired, but it might be a little bit difficult to realise just how tired we are. And that, for me, was a massive wake-up call um, and gave me a real fright because of the position I was in and the location where I was at the time was at the top of a steep hill and it could quite easily have been a very different outcome. And I think that particular incident really made this topic interesting for me. Inspired by that wake-up call, Yvonne began in-depth research into the effects of fatigue and driving. But in her early days, she thought she could fight the sleepiness. If I did get tired um, whilst trying to get home, I would do the usual type of things that I guess most drivers have done at some point. So I'd turn the radio up or wind the window down. All those kind of things that I realise now don't help. But at the time, I tried them, hoping that they might help. I'm sure many of us have tried those tactics in the hope of staying awake at the wheel. I know I have. And I'm sure we can imagine what might happen if they don't really help and we start to fall asleep at the wheel. John Owens was driving home one Sunday morning following a 12-hour shift. He knew he was tired but didn't realise how tired he actually was. He'd been veering across lanes and unknown to him, a police car was following him. He decided to pull into a lay-by to rest and was promptly arrested. Here John tells us about the consequences of that journey home. I had to go to the Crown Court in Preston. I got disqualified for driving for 12 months, a £1,000 fine and 60 hours community work. I still had to go to work after this. And I had no car to go in. I had to use public transport. My wife used to have to take me to work. She had a daytime job as well, so it had a big effect on her. She was becoming tired. It did really show on air. All the family started noticing it. It was probably worse for the two kids. They had to fend for themselves. Mum and Dad was never at home. With their working days and me working nights and taking me to work of a night, that seemed to be our life forever. I think it's crucial to understand that there's no quick fix for fatigue and tiredness other than sleep itself. Here's Ashley again. So part of the sleep pressure that builds up is adenosine. And this is a neurochemical that acts on the brain. It's, it's generated internally by the body. The more you have, the more sleepy you will feel. Now, caffeine as a chemical compound is the same shape or a very similar shape. So it can connect to the areas of the brain where the adenosine would, would sit and effectively it blocks it. However, the sleep pressure continues to build and our body will start to break the caffeine down. So as soon as the caffeine is broken down and it's no longer attached within the brain, suddenly we have all of this adenosine that can quickly attach and then we get something that we would describe as being a, a caffeine crash. So it's that come down after your caffeine has, has run out. And while caffeine might give you a short-term boost, it does nothing to minimise the dangers of driving when you're too tired. Now we know that tiredness and fatigue affects how we work, but what about our personal relationships? See if you can relate to this. 
Kev, the baby's asleep. Can you please get off that PlayStation? Nearly finished. Get to bed. I will. You keep saying that. I know, but it's the last match. Look at the time. It's gone 11. What time are you up tomorrow? Kevin! What? You're working first thing, you're out with your mates tomorrow night, we're at my mum's Saturday, football Sunday, you're not sleeping, you're always tired. It's not my fault. Don't be blaming the baby. I wasn't. You were. I wasn't blaming the baby. Look, when she's asleep, we should be sleeping. She's asleep, now get to bed. Yeah, I know, not tired. We're both tired, Kev. Oh, fuck's sake! Kevin! What? It's the game, I'm not angry at you. Right. What are you doing? Hey, I'm thirsty. Have some water. Like Kevin, it's full of shit. Dicky, it's coke. No wonder you're not sleeping. Oh, I can't do anything right. Now your phone, Kevin, put it oh, away. Shut up! That extract is taken from a scene between the characters Nikki and Kevin at Epic Logistics, one of our safety leadership induction days. Kev is an HGV driver and has a newborn baby with his partner, Nikki. How Kev manages his levels of fatigue, both at work and at home, are incredibly important. Here's Yvonne Taylor again. Sleep deprivation can cause impairment in drivers, which is equivalent or greater to someone that might be over the drink drive limit. And I find that quite difficult to, to under, not to understand, but just to come to terms with, I guess. Because, yes, if a police officer stopped someone that was over the, the drink drive limit, then they would definitely be getting dealt with. But it is very difficult to, to identify, really, as a, as a causation in collisions hence why there are a number of different estimates in relation to the percentage of collisions that may be due to fatigue. If you look at the Department for Transport, I think their latest figures showed that perhaps around 2% of collisions were due to fatigue, but some experienced researchers, such as Professor Jim Horn from Loughborough, would say that there could be around 20% of collisions are down to fatigue driving. So it's a really difficult thing sometimes to identify at the roadside for officers that attend those collisions. For 24-hour safety-critical industries like construction, infrastructure and the emergency services, tired workers driving home presents real risks which are very difficult to mitigate with standard health and safety policy. I think what's needed is a complete change of mindset in how we see fatigue and tiredness in modern society. Perhaps if we could move closer to viewing tired driving as poorly as drunk driving, everyone, both employers and individuals, would take the issue much more seriously. But some businesses are really beginning to recognise the inherent danger of a tired workforce. Judith Devlin is a senior safety advisor for Morgan Zindel Infrastructure. They do a lot of work on the rail network and they knew they needed to look more closely at fatigue. So we know fatigue is an issue right across the whole rail industry. We knew that people working constant night shifts are always going to be in a state of fatigue because your body never fully adjusts to being on night shift. And given that we have to work during the night because that's when trains aren't running, 
we know that there's an issue with fatigue. Plus, we have quite a transient workforce, so people travel to back and forwards, um, sometimes great distances at the beginning and end of their weeks. So all these things make us realise that we there is an issue out there and that we need to do something more about it. And Judith and her team have been taking quite radical steps to find out just how much of an issue fatigue and tiredness is. They've been working with the Canadian company Fatigue Science on a voluntary programme for workers to wear ready bands, an advanced kind of sleep and fatigue monitor. The ready bands are available to anyone, but Judith was keen to assess the impact on those working nights. And when we use these um, ready bands that we have from, from Fatigue Science, they give you a score out of 100. Um, and when you hit a score of 70, it's when you're in a state of fatigue that's the equivalent to being drunk behind the wheel. And they will guarantee that every night shift worker will hit that point at some point on their shift, whether it be the beginning, the middle or the end of their shift. Because just by the very nature that we've swapped people's natural rhythm of their bodies. The ready bands told the team at Morganson Infrastructure what they already knew, that night shift workers were particularly susceptible to fatigue. I'm Adam Christopher and you're listening to the Active Training Team podcast. In this episode, we're talking about why tackling fatigue and the build-up of sleep pressure is a crucial part of staying safe at work. We just heard from Judith Devlin about how Morganson Infrastructure have been monitoring workers' alertness levels with watch-style ready bands. But what next? Let's start with what employers can do. One of the most simple but effective measures is to adapt working hours and shift length. As we've mentioned, driving home at the end of a shift is a real danger point. Here's Jamie again. When he began his contract with Dragadas on the bank station capacity upgrade in the city of London, he moved from 12 to 8-hour shift patterns and it had a big impact. They, they did a study, didn't they, on the effects of fatigue and they changed yeah. the shift pattern. Tell yeah. me a bit about that. Well, the 12-hour shifts, by the time you get up and get up to get down here in the morning and you wait for your trains, you're looking at, for me, two hours. So on top of a 12-hour day, you're looking at 16 hours, only leaves eight. And out of that eight, you've got to have your family time, you've got to eat and everything else. So you sleep, you'd be lucky if you was getting six hours a day. Whereas now, we've gone to the eight-hour shift pattern, you can have your family life and your travel all involved. Okay, so how much more do you like this sort of shift pattern? Oh, eight hours all day long. And if there was a job coming up that you were uh, thinking about taking and it was a 12-hour shift pattern with this, 12-hour shifts yeah. with this pattern, what would you think? Well, we've done it for five years on Crossrail, and it's hard to start with, and your body gets used to it. But now we've gone to the eights, so I don't think I want to go back to twelves. That kind of change requires real commitment from the employer. And here, crucially, workers have not taken a financial hit for working this new shorter shift pattern. This has been covered by the client and employer. So the incentive to work more than is maybe safe and healthy is removed. And as Jamie described earlier, that has a huge effect on quality of life, like being able to spend time with family. I asked Judith what else Morgan Sindel Infrastructure are doing to monitor and manage fatigue. Each one of our projects and our sites have to put in a, a fatigue management plan, so how they as an individual team are going to work to monitor and manage their fatigue. We have put in quite strict working hours guidelines which are more stringent than what the industry demands. 
We've introduced something called the two sleeps rule, which means if somebody works a Saturday night shift and is then going back to day shift, they have to have two full sleeps. We have introduced a, a form that can be done for assessment. So if you believe somebody might be fatigued, we do them randomly and we do them following an instant to check that fatigue hasn't been played a part in it. We use the HSE's fatigue risk index calculator for all our rostering. That's standard practice across the rail industry. And then we also have ready bands from Fatigue Science, which is wearable tech, which monitors your, your levels of fatigue. So it monitors your quantity of sleep, your quality of sleep, and your number of awakenings and gives you a median score over three days. So you wear this band constantly and it tells you if you're in a state of fatigue or not. And it's actually quite clever because it can predict up to 12 hours in advance. But is there a danger that we could become too focused on all this data and end up obsessing about the quality of the sleep that we're getting? We know when we haven't slept well and we know when we're overtired. What you need to be able to do is to speak up and be heard with no recriminations. Here's Dr Ashley Filtoners from Loughborough University again. So typically what we would find across all different industries is that fatigue is and sleepiness is not something that people like to talk about at work. So as an employer or as an organisation, it's quite likely that on paper you could believe that you don't have any issues with fatigue or sleepiness because it's not recorded anywhere, nobody talks about it. So we would ask then, why is it that you wouldn't report this to your manager? And the type of answers that we get depends on the organisational culture. So if you're in a particularly disciplinary culture, people will report that they won't say this because they would be scared that they would be disciplined, they would be told off, it would be their fault, or they would be sent for medical examination to see if there was something wrong with them, they might be stopped from working which would have a knock-on effect to their income. It really struck me when I was on that night shift that there was a sense of togetherness and willingness to talk and listen within the team, and that was really strong. They told me that if they felt tired or fatigued, knackered, they'd speak up. Equally as important, they said that if they spotted someone that looked tired, they'd speak to them, they'd go and chat to them, find out what's going on. They'd have no problem with someone telling them that they were too tired to work. But not every workplace is like that. Here's Judith Devlin again from Morgan Sindel Infrastructure. The biggest thing I think we've learned is the personal responsibility that individuals need to take, which is part of the reason behind what we've done. We can monitor people's rostered hours. We can make sure they don't work more than their maximum hours. They don't travel more than they should do. But it's about that individual taking the learning that we're giving them about how to sleep and why sleep's important, taking it back to the home and making sure that they're fit to come into work. Because we wouldn't allow them to come to work if they were under the influence of drink. We wouldn't allow them to come into work if they were under the influence of drugs. But a state of fatigue can have similar effects to those. So the individual needs to take that responsibility and make sure that they are fit for work. And if they're not, we have policies and procedures in place for them to put their hand up and say, I'm not fit to do this. And we, we won't penalise somebody for doing that. We would rather they told us, but we can then take steps to help. And we've put policies and procedures in place so that somebody can stick, put their hand up and say, I'm not fit to work tonight or do this duty tonight. And sometimes the impact might extend beyond sight. When we started looking at the fatigue data 
we looked at the root causes of our incidents and accidents and none of them had fatigue as a root cause. However, when we looked at how many were on days versus nights, we could see there was possibly a correlation. There hasn't been a material change in the amount of accidents and incidents, but what we have noticed is we've had less driving incidents since we started our, all of our work around fatigue. One important point to make here is that, as Judith told me herself, this all gets much more difficult with agency staff who may be working for a number of different employers with no one overseeing their overall hours worked. So employers need to remain fully tuned in to their staff, everyone who's working for them, and notice those who may be relying on energy drinks to get through their shift, night or day. What we don't want is people to hide and to cover up how tired and exhausted they are. I mean, what are the consequences of that? You only have to open up a newspaper and read some tragic incident where someone's been too exhausted to work and the consequences of that is that it's cost someone's life. And just in case you're listening to this podcast in the middle of the night and it hasn't sent you to sleep and instead you're worrying about sleep, I want to leave you with some tips from Judith to improve your rest. In a nutshell, to get good sleep, you work during the day and you sleep at night. Unfortunately, that's not always possible for all our staff. So there's different hints and tips, avoiding caffeine for four to five hours before you're going to sleep, especially energy drinks, which are one of the worst that you can take. Having a good diet, good lifestyle, so moderate exercise, having a dark room, so blackout blinds, especially if you're trying to sleep during the day. A cool room, your room shouldn't be too hot so that you can get a better sleep. Finding something that helps you go to sleep before you go to bed. So it might be having a bath, a hot bath or a hot shower or a non-caffeine hot drink before you go to bed. Reducing time on televisions and phones and tablets before you go to bed because the blue light affects your sleep. Not having them in your room when you're sleeping, so having them maybe out in the hallway. All of these kind of things are different hints and tips that you can use to help you get better sleep. I hope that's inspired you to prioritise sleep, not only as a part of a healthy lifestyle, but also to make you more effective at work. Thanks so much to Yvonne Taylor, Dr Ashley Filtners, John Owens, Judith Devlin and Jamie Curtis, who all incidentally take their own sleep really seriously. There are loads of resources online for improving sleep and the NHS website is a great place to start. I'd also like to thank Lee Kelly and John Cummings from Dragados for inviting us underground at the bank station upgrade. And especially to Alex Peach for being incredibly generous with his time and looking after us so well. Thanks to my team, to Claire, to Sophie, to Jake. If you've got any feedback or ideas for future episodes, please do get in touch. You can find us at activetrainingteam.co.uk on Twitter and LinkedIn. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Adam Christopher. My producer is the wonderful Freya Hellier. It's late, I'm hot and I'm tired. I'm going to bed. I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Listening.